Oh, yeah. If that didn't have you playing air guitar, you have absolutely no air guitar talent whatsoever. That was the Dirty Dollars. The song is And When I Die. And you can find their music at dirtydirtydollars.com slash music. Although I guess if you just go to the dirtydirtydollars.com, I think I left out a dirty uncharacteristic of me dirty dirty dollars the dirty dirty dollars that's them uh how the hell did i get that song well i got a, an email from a guy named jason who said hey my friend jeff and i are huge fans of your show we get together talk about you and duncan and Bolelli and so on and uh you know i guess the stuff the the issues that we raise are what they talk about i don't think they talk about us we're not that interesting. Anyway, uh, his buddy's got this band, and uh, one night they were drunk, and he said, you should send that music to Chris, and his buddy was like, nah, whatever. So, um, hey, Jeff, don't be such a pussy. Should have sent me that music. That's good. That's good rock and roll. Um, anyway, I hope you enjoyed that, the Dirty Dirty Dollars. I once uh, won an air guitar contest, I have to tell you. It's um, probably as... <clears throat> One of my most glorious moments in high school, I, I with my fake ID, I got into a bar in Syracuse, and uh, I was all tanked up on white Russians. <laughs> this is way before the big Lebowski made that cool, I have to say. Or maybe it was fucking pina coladas. I mean, I entered alcohol through the, through the sweet door, let me tell you. Um, but in any case... I was tanked up and they had an air guitar contest. And so I think the first song they played was um, Stairway to Heaven, right? And so every, all these teenage idiots are out there playing their air guitars. And what they would do is they would go through the crowd and if they touch you on your shoulder, you were eliminated, right? So they would like weed out the less accomplished air guitarists. And uh, then there was another song. I'm not sure what the second song was, but I do remember the third song third and final song when it was down to like you know me and maybe six or seven other losers was um foxy lady Jimi hendrix <clears throat> and i won hands down you know how i won i was the only person who switched and started playing guitar left-handed and some one of the judges noticed that and was so impressed that i won so there it is i don't think my air guitar chops were were the best in the room but i uh I had enough to get myself into the finals, and then I came up with that uh, insightful interpretation of Jimi Hendrix. I have a feeling I may have told that story on Joe Rogan's podcast, so if you've heard that before, my apologies. But see, this is the nature of podcasting. You know, you, nobody's keeping track. There, There's no person who goes on TV, podcasts, talk shows, whatever, who's like, now, let's see, you, know, you get a checklist of different stories and whether there's audience overlap of where you've told that story or this story. Um, occasionally, I'll get an email from somebody who's like, dude, I heard you tell that story four different times. You know, fuck you. I, I mean, what the fuck you want me to do? Uh, I can't keep track of that shit. It's even worse for my friends, you know? I don't know. I, I tell, I talk to so many people, like in my normal life, just people face-to-face. -face. I don't know who I've told what to. It's impossible. Plus, you got the loss of memory, right? I'm in my fucking 50s. Give me a break. 
the other day and I was in Austin and my friend and I were were talking and we were trying to remember for some reason like some some friend of his had uh or somebody he knew had uh amnesia and he was trying to tell the story and he was like what's that what do you call that when when someone loses their memory and I'm like ins- insomnia or uh, and and we stood there for, literally for like 5 minutes trying to think of we could not remember the word for memory loss and finally I had to like google that shit you know so uh you know don't give me a hard time for telling the same stories uh, a couple of times especially if it's not even on this podcast I mean god damn Anyway, today's guest is Elle Stanger. She's a stripper, which is one of the reasons I thought that rock and roll would uh, be appropriate because, you know, it seemed like good good stripping music. It makes me want to swing on a pole somewhere. Um, Elle's a, a stripper here in, or a sex worker, I don't know what the right terminology is, here in Portland, an exotic dancer, Um at the uh, the Lucky Devil, I think she says. She talks about it in the podcast. So if you're local and you want to go see her at work, uh, you can do that. She's also published a book about um, stripping, and she's uh, politically active, trying to um, bring recognition to the pretty atrocious working conditions at a lot of clubs. Not the one she works at, luckily, but a lot of clubs are pretty fucked up because... They'll check, you know, the, the the government agencies will come in and check the kitchen and make sure that's, you know, get a fire extinguisher and there aren't rats. And, you know, they do those sort of uh, inspections, but they don't inspect the stage. So the pole can be loose. It can be dirty. There can be, you know, the dressing room can be disgusting. Nobody's checking that because it's not there's no food prep going on there. And it's not really considered uh, it's not like an industrial work environment that would be subject to inspections. Uh, so consequently, where you don't have government uh, regulation, of course, despite what you libertarians and Republicans think, what happens is that the government, or uh, if there's no government oversight, then private corporations are just like, hey, fuck everybody, right? That's the way it works. So fuck the strippers, fuck the customers, fuck everybody. We're going to make as much money as we can. Uh, so she's agitating against that, which is pretty cool. And uh, we talk about how we met each other online, so I won't I won't uh, go into that now. Um, it's an interesting conversation. I just sort of listened to most of it again, and because uh, it was a couple weeks ago, and um, yeah, it's interesting. We talk a lot about this the sort of inherent sadness of intimacy that you pay for, um, and I don't know. That might just be my hang up. Now you see what you think about that. In other news, I just got back from the Paleo FX conference in Austin, Texas, which was a lot of fun. Uh, met a lot of friends down there, some of whom I've known. I met last year and some new ones. I gave a little talk on uh, paleo politics, which was interesting. The organizers of the conference are sort of consciously moving it beyond the bone broth and the, you know, the squats. It's, it's not just exercise and, and food. It's paleo is a movement that I think could uh, have political repercussions at some point. And that's sort of the central thesis of this book I'm working on, which is that our civilization has been sort of following the same path uh, 
that is the the central path of many mythological stories there joseph campbell wrote the hero with a thousand faces about this where so many cultures all around the world have basically the same story which is the generally it's a boy who goes out a young man goes out traveling uh, looking for something he has adventures along the way and uh, and then in the end he comes back to where he started and he finds this thing that he was looking for out in the world has actually been right here at home the whole time so there's this uh, recurring um, theme in so many of these mythological tales and I kind of feel that that's if our civilization is going to if our species I should say is going to survive that's going to be our story and I feel like civilization is one of these dead ends that we have to uh, we have to we have to get through we have to get past we have to escape uh, and get back to where we started and um, one of my favorite lines is from T.S. Eliot's uh, The Four Quartets he says the end of all our explorations will be to return where we began and know the place for the first time so that's a little bit of what I was talking about in Portland I was talking about how I'm not in Portland in Austin I was talking about how hunter-gatherer people relate to each other and uh, and uh, here's a, here's another great quote for you Henry from Henry David Thoreau who I've talked about recently on the podcast and this is about whether you know, because I, I talk in the book about whether we should be admiring the heroes of civilization, right? These people who have monuments and tombs and, you know, the bridges named after them and airports and all that kind of stuff. Is that really what we admire? Do we admire these people with the fire in the belly, the people who change the world, the difference makers, you know? Um, because Hitler was a difference maker, right? Mao was a fucking difference maker. Pol Pot was a difference maker. Pinochet. These guys all made differences. They made a big fucking difference. They just killed and tortured thousands or millions of people in the process. But it seems like we admire that, right? When someone is going to make a difference. Well, you know, maybe we're making so many fucking differences. We're making a goddamn mess of this planet, right? Maybe what we need is fewer difference makers. Maybe what we need is people who are humble. And that's... That song really resonated with me, the, and when I die, because he says, don't bury me. I, I already took up too much space in this world, right? Don't bury me. Don't take up more land. Uh, you know, don't keep all my things. My, who gives a fuck about my things? They're not going to help you. They didn't help me, right? There's a humility in that uh, song that I, I found very interesting. And it resonates with this quote from Henry David Thoreau talking about the pyramids and um you know, this this idea of do we celebrate the ambition of the people who did this or do we uh, find it pathetic? Thoreau uh, agrees with me. He says, as for the pyramids, there's nothing to wonder at in them so much as the fact that so many men could be found degraded enough to spend their lives constructing a tomb for some ambitious booby whom it would have been wiser and manlier to have drowned in the Nile and then given his body to the dogs. Hell yeah. That's how I feel. I feel like there's far more to admire in the people we've never fucking heard of than in most of the people who are 
at the top, whether it's the top of money, the top of fame, the top of power. Because what the fuck is wrong with them that they need that money, that fame, that power? And this is a serious question, right? We're taught to admire these people, but what doesn't a healthy person, you know, how much money do you need? Really, what's your number? The science says that if you make more than $60,000 a year, you don't get any happier after that. Less than 60 grand, you got problems, you got issues, you're worried about can you pay for this, pay for that. But once you hit about 60 grand a year, this is America, I don't know which city, but you know, more it varies, but around that number, then you're not happier anymore. And I've, I've probably talked about this before. You know, a bottle of wine, I always think of wine because in Spain, every you know, wine is everywhere. 10 euros gets you a really nice bottle of wine. 15, delicious, wonderful. 50, honestly, I can't tell the fucking difference. 100, 200, 300, I can't tell the difference. It's all the bottle. It's all the labeling. It's all, you know, these people who sitting around drinking $1,000 bottles of Cristal. Fuck those people. They're idiots. They're idiots because I guarantee you the experience that they're having drinking that fucking Cristal is all about ego. It's not about the sub. It's not about the stuff. It's not about the product. It's about ego. Look at me. I'm so fucking cool. I can burn $100 bills. Well, fuck you. You could give that $100 bill to a homeless person outside who needs the fucking food. I'd admire you for that. I don't admire you for, you know, sloshing it around. Anyway, Daniel Everett says when he was living with the Pinaha, he had this is this wonderful uh, quote. He says, uh, I asked the Pinaha once during my early missionary years if they knew why I was there. These are hunter gatherers in the Amazon. They answered, you're here because this is a beautiful place. The water's pretty. There are good things to eat here. The Pinaha are nice people. <laughs> That's it, man. That's why you're here. Of course. We're, we got it made. We're, we're, uh, we're great here. Of course that you want to be here with us. He says, they laugh, at, they laugh more about everything. They laugh at their own misfortune. When someone's hut blows over in a rainstorm, they laugh more loudly than anyone. They laugh when they catch a lot of fish. They laugh when they catch no fish. They laugh when they're full and they laugh when they're hungry. He says, uh, this pervasive happiness is hard to explain. Though I believe the Pinaha are so confident and secure in their ability to handle anything that their environment throws at them that they can enjoy whatever comes their way. Now think about that. They live in an environment that they feel gratitude toward because it gives them food, it gives them shelter, it gives them pretty water and clean air and, and uh, their friends. Everything comes from this environment that's generous and kind. How do you feel about your environment? I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but there are, our environment is trying to trick us. It's trying to confuse us. It's misleading us. There are scientists all over the world studying ways that they can use this font and that color and this particular actress doing this thing to pull your attention and make you buy something you don't really want. Maybe you can't even afford it. They don't give a shit. They're trying to get you to drink more Coca-Cola because it's the real thing. They don't give a shit that it's going to rot your teeth and give you diabetes. Right? Your environment is trying to poison you. It's trying to manipulate and trick you. 
that's a completely different environment than the one we evolved in, which, sure, there are dangers, there are leopards, there are snakes, but they're not fucking with us. They're dangerous. You avoid them, right? But they're not trying to trick us. They're not playing these weird fucking head games with us. And even if they are, it's the same head games they were playing on our grandfathers and their grandfathers, so we figure them out and then we're good, right? But in our environment, in the modern environment, the dangers are always evolving. There's an arms race where just when we figure out that advertising's bullshit, then you get the companies that are doing the anti-advertising. You know, they're the, the simple shoes, right? Oh, we're too cool to advertise. I guess I fall into that camp as well, right? Here's an awkward segue. If you want to support the podcast, please go to fundwhatyoulove.com and uh, you'll find Tangentially Speaking there keeps the podcast advertisement free so uh if you're in favor of that get on over to fundwhatyoulove.com there's some other uh campaigns set up there as well people are starting to set things up and the the site's getting off the ground which is nice to see um yeah about 60 65 people have uh pledged a buck five bucks ten bucks uh, as much as 50 bucks a month thank you you rich people. Um, anyway, thank you, you poor people, too. Thank you to everybody. And, of course, if you can't afford it, don't sweat it at all. I've gotten so much free shit in my life. So many people have helped me out. There's absolutely no obligation. I owe the universe everything. So uh, if you're not in a position to to throw any money my way, just ignore these, please. Um, and, uh, but anyway, if you are, fundwhatyoulove.com is very cool. Thanks to Carsey Blanton, thanks to the Dirty Dirty Dollars, thanks to L. Stanger, and thanks to you for listening to this podcast and telling your friends about it. And uh, check out Duncan Trussell's podcast if you haven't, if you're not already a fan. Uh, check out Daniele Bolelli. He's fantastic. The Drunken Taoist. The world is full of great podcasts. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this one. Hope everything's great wherever you are. I will catch you next week. Germanic like root uh, it means of the pole or someone who carries a staff I'm not fucking kidding wow. it's my real last name really? <laughs> I texted my parents I'm like guess what you guys <laughs> I was born to meant be on the to pole. be <laughs> <laughs> my mom's like oh your dad's gonna love this <laughs> mm-hmm. all right I should I should say I'm here with Elle Stanger uh, who just explained that her last name refers to uh, one who carries a pole is that what it yeah, was yeah it's it's one of the pole or um having a relating to like a staff or a spear wow. so yeah All right. so i'm either like a viking warrior goddess or a viking warrior stripper <laughs> both. <laughs> both i think they go together <laughs> uh yeah good okay so we're gonna talk you're you're a prominent portland stripper mm-hmm. a lot of peas there mm-hmm. a prominent portland Stripper, lots of peas. Um, pole dancer, and you um, are also. Are you officially um, suicide girl? Is that your? I've been on the website for ten years. I just realized um, I 
I'm still on the website. I don't blog very actively and I haven't had any photos published in probably about two years. So mm-hmm. at this point, it's kind of just a hub for people to see one more thing I've done. Right. Yeah. So um, we, the way we met each other is very serendipitous, mm-hmm. right? You posted uh, a beautiful photo of a copy of our book, Between mm-hmm. Your Legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, between are, my legs. It's more on top of my legs. Well, <laughs> you, you just You just saw what you wanted to see. <laughs> That's true. No, I like that. That is true. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Well, I mean, you could be naked other than the book. Well, it was Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and my my tattoos from my tops of my feet to the tops of my thighs go all the way up. So, I mean, essentially, if I was naked, yeah, you'd see the same amount of tattoo. Right. So, which is really cute because actually when um, it's summertime, so like the two months that you can wear shorts up in portland um little old ladies will stop me and be like oh honey i love your stockings but they don't match that's funny you know what i showed that picture to my wife mm-hmm. and she said I lo- oh nice leg oh no i just <laughs> called her a little old lady <laughs> sorry wife it's okay we'll all get there if we live long enough yeah, yeah or um or really drunk people in the strip club i can see them staring really hard and like squinting and i know what they're looking at and then if i walk by they're usually like Oh my God! I thought those were tights. Yeah. Like, I know. Yeah. I know. That's a lot of a lot of pain and money. Still, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a friend. I've told the story on the podcast before, so I won't go into it. But he uh, he got an octopus tattooed on his shoulder, mm-hmm. um, which every one of us tried to talk him out of doing. Why? It just sounded like a dumb idea, and he like sort it wasn't of, him. Like he was just doing it for whatever reason. He, yeah, he was sort of a an obsessive compulsive guy mm-hmm. in general. He's a jazz musician trying to make a living in Spain playing upright acoustic bass. I know nothing about any of that. So. Well, that's like really hard. <laughs> okay, you know, it's like okay. a really hard way to try to make a living. And um, he was very good, and he was a vegetarian for twenty years, and. He was in a tapas bar with uh, this jazz band that he was touring with, and someone and nobody spoke Spanish except him. So they were having the tapas, and they were in Andalusia in the south, mm-hmm. in some little village. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was some amazing little piece of meat on a piece of bread or whatever. And they said, "Ask the dude what that is. It's just so. This is so it good." Was octopus? No, it was actually ham from a boar that the guy had shot on the hill right outside the bar with his bow the previous year and cured himself. And there's this amazing story. And so the other dudes in the band were like, come on, Chris, you got to eat some of this. And he's like, I'm a vegetarian. Like, oh, but just eat one. And he did, and it snapped, and then he became obsessed with meat. And his first meat obsession was octopus. And anyway, as I say, I've told the story. That's probably not very um, inexpensive, to find octopus. I mean, uh, besides he, like cured, you know, mountain boar or whatever the hell. Well, it's a big thing in Spain. Spanish cuisine, yeah. there's a lot of octopus. Oh, yeah. okay. Anyway, so he, but like so many people, he got the one tattoo. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, he's got like 15 or 20 of them. See, that's funny too, because when people, I mean, everybody's different and that's fine. Um, it's good to change. It's nice to surprise yourself and, you know, discover that you like new things or whatever. But, Um, like when I started getting tattooed, when I got on the table, I was 19. Um, I already had like a sketch. I'd done it all my, I was probably, I think I was in anthropology class and I just, teachers talking about shit that I was like, Oh, I'm too smart to listen to this, whatever. So I'm doodling all the tattoos I was going to have within the next decade. And I've stuck pretty close to that. So it's so annoying to me when people are like, Oh, aren't they addictive or addicting? I'm like, no, 
this was all very carefully planned for me, but I've definitely seen other people where they like get the one and yeah. then get the second one or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, everybody's different. I think as long if you have a vision, that's nice because I don't know what it's like to regret any of these. Right. But I imagine it sucks. <laughs> I imagine it would because yeah. the laser removal is way more expensive and way more painful. Yeah, is what they say. Well, this guy he didn't have a plan. Mm-hmm. One thing led to another, and it, uh, last time I saw him, he had. There's a theme, I would say, but not a plan, and the theme is culinary. Culinary, so okay. He's got uh, the octopus. He's got a blue lobster on his other shoulder. He's got a wild boar on his one of his legs. Okay. He's got a garlic, a head of garlic. He's got a, like an ancient old Roman symbol for olive oil. Okay. I think he's got uh, something else. He's essentially a walking paella, this guy. That's he's, he's like... It's I shouldn't say that's really weird. Um, I have... It says... I was granted 19 when I got this fucking magical with a little princess crown on my wrist. Um, and I mean that plenty of people would say, well, that's really stupid. That's really weird. But to me, it makes me smile. Yeah. That's kind of just my attitude on life. Um, one of my best friends is a tattoo artist mm-hmm. and he always used to like try to get me to, you know, like, come on, man, you mm-hmm. got that great white skin. Let's mm-hmm. get you tattooed. And come on, blah, blah, blah. Always pushing. Mm-hmm. And then when sex of dawn came out mm-hmm. one night, we were hanging out and I said, yeah, his name's voodoo. I said, you know what voodoo, I think it's time for me to get a tattoo. This like now there's something to celebrate. But you didn't. He said, "Don't get a tattoo." It's <laughs> <laughs> like are you kidding? Like it's 10 like you years. called his bluff. Ten, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Ten yeah, years yeah. even yeah. tried to give. He's like, "No, you're not a tattoo person. Just don't do it." I would say if you were going to get one, get it like in the middle of your back where nobody would ever see it except for you, and then you would know that it was truly something you wanted to do and not some kind of like peacockery. Yeah. Because and that also drives me nuts because. And I'm I'm a young, white, attractive female. Like, I've had my lips injected. I, I know what I look like. I'm, I'm pretty. I know that. So it's really funny when people, I think I can pick up on it, um, when people aren't so aware that they're being so transparent, or maybe they just don't care, but um, if, if a guy goes or a woman goes to get their first tattoo and it's, like, the most visible place, like, on the top of their hands or their neck, right. and I'm like... You know, I feel like you're doing that, like you're trying to get a flashy car or you're trying to be perceived a certain way. Yeah. And maybe I'm wrong. They call it uh, some tattoo artists. A lot of them won't even, if you work in a reputable shop, and I use bunny ears, if you work in a reputable shop and you want your first tattoo like on your hands, a lot of places will say no. Right. Because you haven't earned it. Mm. Um, so there's still, I mean, some part of the culture there um, where you have to like suffer through enough before you can start showing it off. Mm. Um, and I've worked tattoo conventions for modeling stuff and... And it's so irritating sometimes when you just see people that that maybe they just, you know, and whatever. It's their bodies. It's for themselves. But I guess I don't like a certain amount of flaunting. I think it kind of drives me nuts. Right. But I mean, like I'm full, and also it's cold outside, but I'm covered. You know, I have a black sweater and pants and everything's covered. But yeah, very um, disappointing for your host, by the way. Yeah. No, I'm actually sitting here naked. Yeah, <laughs> Where's <yeah>. your wife? <laughs> My wife's cool. <laughs> my husband, actually. My both. wife will be like, did you see your leggings? Oh, yeah. <laughs> both of my ex-husbands are cool. Yeah. Well, that's good. I know. I think I'm going to go for the record. What was the, there's a joke. I don't remember who it is. A, a woman comedian who says something like, you know, when I go out on a date with a man, I, I think is, is this the guy I want to be visiting my kids on weekends? You know, like she's already planning. Like, oh, he's, yeah. Is this going to be a good ex-husband? Oh, my God. Yeah. My sister, since she was like 16 years old. And I mean, we grew up in Southern California, you know, mostly in the 90s and the aughts. But um, 
she's been joking since she was a teenager that by the time she's 35, she's going to have um, a boob job, two kids, and a divorce. <laughs> and what's oh, funny, though, mean. well, what's funny is um, I was the honor student, and, and she never was. She was the partier. But she is a pharmacy technician now. She's been with the same uh, male partner for like seven or eight years. They're getting married. Uh, no kids. Um, she has not had a boob job. Um, I, I'm the honor student that has two degrees and, uh, two ex-husbands and the stripper and naked on the internet. And did I say boob job? Cause I have a boob job. <laughs> so, oh, and so I was named after my father and, and, uh, my grandmothers went by Ethel and Annabelle. So L my dad's Daniel. So L Stanger, uh, my mom named me after my dad and the family members, and my dad named my sister after a Playboy bunny, Crystal with a K. Oh, really? And I'm like, how am I the stripper, you guys? <laughs> so hey, how did he? How did how did your sister get named after a Playboy bunny without someone saying? My dad, no. my mom picked my name, so she came along second. And my dad's like, well, it's my turn. I picked the second kid's name. <laughs> really? And she didn't have a veto. No, no. I mean, no, my mom didn't care. That's funny. My dad wanted to call me F Scott, and my mother was like, Are you fucking kidding me? F. Scott Fitzgerald, yeah. who's this famous writer. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that'll put some pressure on the kid. Yeah. yeah. Like, how about Aldous? Yeah, exactly. Well, that would have worked <laughs> a lot better, actually. <laughs> Old Aldous, yeah. Some, I yeah. think I'm, I'm like reincarnated Aldous Huxley because he died uh, within a few months of when I was born. Hmm. Like, yeah. But, hmm. but I Does it work like so. that? No. Well, you know, there's, there's interesting research about reincarnation. Hmm. Uh, I've... I've uh, talked about it on the podcast before. There's a guy named, um, uh, what the hell is his name? He was teaching at uh, the University of Virginia Medical School. He's a psychiatrist, Stevenson, Ian Stevenson. He just died a couple of years ago. But he did research all over the world, um, really like hardcore scientific, Mm -hmm. peer-reviewed research, Mm -hmm. where he uh, had informants in different countries who would tell him, when they had found children who were recounting past lives, usually three to five years old. Mm-hmm. And they what would. What culture is this? Where? Well, mostly his research was in India, Brazil, and Lebanon. Okay. And uh, because those apparently are cultures or within a certain part of Lebanon and mm-hmm. certain parts of Brazil where um, children recounting past lives isn't threatening to adults. So right. they're not like, no, that's nonsense. You know, right. it's, like it's, it's not poo-pooed. Yeah. Right. Or, yeah. you know, Christianity or whatever. Right. So, yeah, mm-hmm. th- what they did is they would go in and they would get as much uh, detailed information as they can from the kids. Mm-hmm. And then they would try to match it up. With who died. With who died. <laughs> and they had like over a dozen cases where they they found the person and they went back and corroborated the details like where the person worked how they died i feel like i want that to be some kind of like paranormal invest i mean we don't need more reality shows but i feel like that would be a really easy one if they were doing a- yeah. <laughs> well i have my sort of mentor in graduate school mm-hmm. is one of the world's most acknowledged <clears throat> famous uh, experts in parapsychology so mm-hmm. i used to travel all over the world with him to conferences and stuff when i was in grad school 
So I'm sort of like, that's a big part of my, mm-hmm. my past. But we're not here to talk about my past. <gasps> uh, we're here to talk you, about my You mentioned future. you have two degrees. Oh, they're just little like ones. criminal. They're just little ones, yeah. So um, you were going to be a cop. I wanted to be a cop for a long time. Mm-hmm. What, what's with wanting to be a cop? Are you a hard <sighs> ass? Is that... You know, like, I, you like any, to... any personality test, this is separate, but have you ever done any Briggs-Meyer? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Which one did you get? I don't remember. Oh, I'm really? Forgetful. How convenient. Yeah. Um, I always get ENTJ, which which is like the 3% um, basically says I should be an executive or a dictator. You're a psychopath. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Oh, no, that's the running joke. Yeah. Um, um, I, I don't I don't hurt animals or children, um, but like looking at the DSM. I want to. Oh, my God. But I fantasize about lighting. <laughs> I actually stopped working at a particular club um, downtown because the people would antagonize me so that I fantasize. I realized I had to stop dancing there when I was fantasizing about lighting people on fire as I walked through the floor, just like flick. flick. Wow. <laughs> but um, no, you know, for some reason, I think like, obviously there's a lot of bad cops in the world. We know this. Um, there's a lot of bad ministers and preachers and teachers and podcast strippers, hosts. podcast hosts. Yeah. Yes. Um, but it would be really nice and I've I've witnessed some experiences in my life where I mean I know my life was saved by by cops that people I didn't know they were just doing their job. Yeah. I mean it inherently should be a helping profession and you see um, or based on what I was learning um, departments like San Diego where I'm from Portland supposedly they lean more towards uh, community relations and more helping professions instead right. of militaristic. You know, like if you want to talk corruption, right. you talk about like New Orleans and anyway. So I guess it's one of those like be the change things where I was really inspired by the couple of police officers that had helped me out when I was younger. <clears throat> so I just wanted to do that. And um, I love like I'm not an adrenaline junkie, but I love watching things unfold between people or groups and trying to figure out how to fix it. Um, even being a stripper, dealing with drunk people, people on drugs, people who are very anxious or just don't understand the rules or the parameters of, of where they are. Um, you know, if you're successful and bartenders know this, anybody in the service industry knows this, you have to know how to work a little bit of conflict resolution. Right. So when I maybe have to go on stage in 30 seconds and the drunk belligerent person is refusing to pay me and I'm naked, I mean, I have to multitask and, and try to appeal to some kind of side of them, whether it's like, you know, threat of potential escalation where I'm like, hey, let's not make this a bigger deal. You know, I don't want to have to get the bouncer. Like, let's go to the ATM or we can borrow money from your friend. Um, you know, stuff like that. I've, I've definitely learned a lot more about how to manage people. Um, it's kind of like dealing with children. <laughs> I wonder if that's the only job where you have to negotiate naked. That's, well, that's I mean, besides, besides, yes. It, oh, my God. Well, you know, and it's interesting, too. Um, I think... And again, this just comes back to, like, I myself, I don't change. I like to use an example where if you have a painting or a drawing, you put it on a wall or it's in a museum or whatever, and you have 100 people look at it or a million people look at it, the painting never changes, but it will be described differently by every single person who looks at it. You know, mm. if, if they each, you ask them individually. So the people that I encounter, whether they, you know, compliment me, tell me that I'm a goddess, a muse, you know, a, a healer, um, a whore, stupid cunt, 
You know, it depends on them. I'm just me. So I think it's really interesting um, just to try to, I've learned so much about myself from stripping, um, much more than nude modeling, because, I mean, you know how people can be so asinine on the internet. Like, it's it's the worst. Um, It's really weird to, after the story, uh, again, with the Associated Press that I mentioned before, I think we were on, um, I didn't read any of the comments, but I imagine since it was viewed by literally millions of people, um, I can only estimate how many tens of thousands were calling me a whore, you know, like it's a bad thing. Yeah. Or or uh, I, I definitely know the argument for if you're, uh, if you're arguing for better working conditions for any person in the sex industry or the sex trade or adult entertainment, there is a, a, a large portion of the American population that will state that, well, you chose this work. Right. Which is bullshit because if a construction worker gets hurt on the job, it's a tragedy. Right. If a police officer gets hurt on the job, you know, assuming they're a good cop, it's a tragedy. Coal this, miners. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like you, you choose the work based on the risks and the rewards, but you're still a person. So if a prostitute, and I use the word prostitute much to the chagrin of some other sex workers, but I don't see a stigma attached to it. I don't, yeah. I, I don't believe in using unnecessary euphemisms. Like I could call myself a dancer or a stripper or whatever. I'm a stripper. I know, I hear you. This, this stuff with the N word and the C word, I, it drives me crazy. Yeah. It's like if you know what it means, then right. you're using the word. There was a big it's thing crazy. a couple of years ago on CNN, uh, the, the black um, anchor, Don Lemon, where he was quoting, and he said, he was quoting, and he said, nigger. And he got, and I mean, even now, it doesn't really feel good to say that word. Um, but he got a, a, a decent amount of backlash for that. And he says, I'm a reporter. <laughs> and he's black. <laughs> and he's black. Right. But he's like, I'm a reporter. So I'm reading the facts. I'm reading what the quote was. Did you hear what happened last week with uh, the NCAA basketball players? Mm-hmm. So the one team, Kentucky, who were supposed to win everything, they lost. And so they were kind of bitter and they were having the the bitter press conference. Mm -hmm. And um, this is the part where they forget it's a game. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, so and they're not getting paid. They talk about workers rights. That's Mm -hmm. an interesting Mm -hmm. case. Right. But anyway, so there are these two black guys who are twins and, Mm -hmm. and they're talking to one of him, one of them. And um, they ask him about this white guy from the other team who they failed to stop, who was mm-hmm. really good, named Frank Kaminsky. Mm-hmm. And so they say, you know, what about Frank Kaminsky? Da, 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 da. And he says under his breath to his brother, fuck that nigger. Right? <laughs> he's a white guy. <laughs> he's talking about a white guy. <laughs> so now everybody freaks uh, out like, oh, he's racist. Well, well it's like, oh, I uh, mean, wait a minute. Well, and uh, we're like, white. We're white. So I don't have like we don't have. You don't have the the right to speak to like I'm not white. you know hookers. You're I'm not white. I'm uh, famine Irish, okay, oh, okay. which is not you white. You look a little pink, actually. Yeah, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm past white. I'm yeah. practically albino. Yeah, yeah I mean, so I mean that's the thing. Like people say, well, you're white. Well, what does that mean? Jewish people are white, mm-hmm. all right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like even the 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 categories that we use. You know, my wife's from Africa. Mm-hmm. People think she's black. She's actually has Indian background. She was raised by Africans in Africa. Okay. So is she black? Is right. she Indian? Is well, she Asian? This, this is, is why she, what the I fuck? don't like using the term African-American because when you look at someone who's black here, we assume that they are from Africa and that oh they're American. God. So, And I literally did this on, on Facebook um, probably like five or six months ago where I, I posted a thing where I said, I want to be correct 
in my terminology. I want to hear from ethnic minorities, not Hispanic, not white people. I want to hear from people that are black or African-American or what should I use? A lot of Hispanics have African blood. Right. right? But I mean, I have Hispanic blood, but I'm blonde and I'm very pale. So I don't, you know, represent that, I don't think. Um, But, and I don't speak with an accent. Um, But so I, so I asked, I said, you know, I want to know from my followers, from my friends who are black or African-American, which term do you prefer? Like, please tell me, you know, and I'll use it. And the overwhelming majority said, I prefer black, you know, capitalize it when you write it down because it's actually like a a name. It's a noun for a group. Um, But, you know, one woman said, you know, my fiance is, God, what was the country from Guyana? But she's like, you know, even just saying African-American, you're again, you're implying that they're specifically like from the whole continent, which is not ever the case and that they have American citizenship. So I just like to say black Americans, white Americans, Hispanic, Latino. Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, it's still evolving. Like the terminology seems to be a lot of things. And even in the in the sex world. Just I want to I want to alert our uh, listeners that every time you hear a bang. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I feel very strongly about this Americano. I have to I, I, slam it down. I've got the headphones on so I can hear when you're drumming your fingers and things. Oh, but you don't, you don't. That's all right. It's cool. It, so far, it hasn't been loud, but the, oh, co- the coffee was a good one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were, Cassie and I were in a Denny's somewhere once. Is that your wife? Yeah. Okay. Cassie. And uh, and this woman was at the table next to us and the, they started chatting and she said, so where, where are you from? And mm-hmm. mine was from Mozambique, right? She mm-hmm. said, Mozambique. And you could just see this woman had no clue where, where that is. Yeah. And Cassie said, well, it's in the southern part of Africa. Mm-hmm. And this woman sort of pauses for a few minutes and she says, so... <laughs> so you're black. <laughs> is everyone there African-American? <laughs> oh, she just said African-American. See, I know. And that's, yeah. Is everyone in Africa right. African-American? Yeah. I mean... No, it's it just gets kind of no. absurd. Yeah, know? we don't even realize. I mean, it's nice to be to try to be, you know, sensitive and aware. But it, yeah, there was a thing on Mean Girls a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was I don't know a few episodes ago this season, where one of the characters says to the other, "She's like, you know, sometimes you're so like not racist that you're actually racist, right? Because you're <laughs> obsessing over it. Yeah. You're thinking about it all yeah. the time. I just yeah. want to ask people. I mean, you know, and there's and there's like argument in the sex worker community which thanks to social media spans you know all over the world but um some people really bristle at the term prostitute because it's historically a really stigmatized word yeah um i think that the term sex worker is very broad um i've only i've never been a a like i say functioning sex worker like i didn't do it to feed or clothe myself as far as selling sex i sold sex once um to see if i could do it i set up the client and the appointment and uh, I researched it and it went very well and I was happy with it. And I thought at the end, like, wow, my client was really happy. Um, That was a lot of emotional work because he wanted to talk about his boat while we cuddled (laughs) in between me blowing him with flavored condoms because you have to wrap it uh, is what they say. But, you know, so I've never been really Uh, a a woman who sold sex as for a living so I don't know if that's right, but then when I say that I'm a sex worker, I think people automatically assume that I'm a prostitute. So then yeah. when I say stripper, they say, well, that's not sex worker. And I'm like, well, if you're, you know, leaning back, you know, tugging on your labia while somebody moans in your ear and you feel their erection underneath you, like, yeah, you're a sex worker. 
you know, I'm not selling yeah. shoes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's the, the boundaries are very confusing. I've had a woman on this podcast. We've become friends. Her, her stage name is Sierra Lynch. She mm-hmm. does. She's a humiliatrix and she's oh. got, she was just profiled in salon actually. Mm-hmm. And they mentioned mm-hmm. you in the same piece. Oh, really? I didn't see that. Yeah. It just I mean, came I out saw, last I night. I saw the photo and I thought, Oh, I want to read that later. Then, yeah. Okay. Well, you're mentioned in it. Oh, uh, this, okay. I think the same journalist had spoken to you she a couple of weeks earlier or yeah, something. She yeah. She was good. So anyway, um, yes, yeah, Sierra's funny. She's got <clears throat> like, she never meets clients in person. It's all over the internet. And like she sells her used panties. She mm-hmm. sells, you know, whatever. So she never does one on music. No. Really? She, uh, on, on camera. She'll do like um, videos stuff. on demand. You know, or um, requested videos that people pay for. Is it is it stuff that she sends, or is it live where she's interacting with them? Like I a... think she does both, but I'm okay. not sure. I, I don't really know. Um, and uh, she does. Uh, the thing that cracks me up is she's got several phone lines for dudes who get off on being ignored. Oh my God. So they'll call, she'll pick up the phone, put it on the table and oh just go God. about her day and completely ignore them. And they're like, oh my God, she's ignoring me. This is so great. Oh my God. And to think that I was and busting my ass in retail for all those years. <laughs> I know. It's just, I mean, it's just so oh fucking God. strange. One of my, uh, one of my, I don't want to call him a boyfriend, but he is a lovely man. Uh, we are interacting in a more intimate level lately. So I'll say man friend. Um, he, uh, <laughs> I was talking about maybe going back to school um, and he he's a service industry worker. He's a bartender and barista. Um, and he says, do you think I should go back to college? And I said, in this in this economy, like, no, you're an idiot. Why would you do that? So I sent him something that I recently found. It's cubcleaners.com. And it's just it's handsome young men that it appeals to a, a more uh, gay uh market but uh, apparently women are clients too but if you just want to clean somebody's house in your underwear uh. and uh one of my one of my stripper coworkers, her boyfriend's worked for them for like four or five years um and he's like yeah i cleaned this guy's house for two hours and the dude just followed me around jerking off behind me but you know didn't touch me and <laughs> but he's done it for years and and you know they they swap stories about work but i've, I've sent this to a couple of my dude friends and uh, also, yeah, and I'm moving into a new apartment, and uh, it's probably the nicest thing I've ever invested in right now. Um, and I enlisted the help of my 24-year-old buddy. Uh, we used to fuck, but haven't in about a year. We actually met on Tinder. He's a lovely man. Um, but he was helping me move furniture because he's big and strong, and I offered him some pizza and beer and let him play his music and threw him, like, 40 bucks. And he's looking around, and he's like, God. He's like, i got to start stripping. I'm like, yeah, start stripping because you're working in customer care for Internet stuff at like barely minimum wage. And these jobs are so important. But, you know, it's funny when once in a while I'll hear this, not so much anymore, but people are like, oh, if I could just be a stripper. And I'm like, well, you can. You totally can. Like, well, I'm too overweight. Okay, we'll lose some weight. Yeah. Well, I don't know how to dance. Well, I didn't either. You got to learn. Well, I'm not attracted to dudes. You think I'm attracted to all my customers? Right. It's work. <laughs> it's work. That's what makes you a pro, right? <laughs> you got to learn. So, I mean, if it was yeah. just sitting there like, dee dee dee, shaking my boobs for yeah. whatever, that would be, it's not. Yeah, I, I uh, my girlfriend was a stripper for years. Mm-hmm. So I sort of 
you know where in San Francisco. Okay, yeah, I don't know. I never worked down there. Mitchell Brothers. Okay, I know it's way different. Yeah, and this was in the eighties too. Oh yeah, totally different before the internet. Yeah, before the internet. Hopefully, she made a killing. She got well. Sort of the end of her career was that she fought to unionize. Interesting. And they had the court case, and it became a big deal. And you know they. And then we split up somewhere in there, <clears throat> and I moved to Spain. So I'm not sure mm-hmm. exactly how it resolved, um, um, I, but it was tough. The tr- and the transition out of stripping was hard for her too, mm-hmm. you know, because that the money. So well, you have to she, make plans. I mean, if you're yeah. not saving, if you're not saving money while you're stripping, you better have a damn good reason for all of your expenses. Like if you're, I, I knew a woman who stripped. She was seven days a week, and her five year old had cancer. And, you know, all her money was going to that. And right. I I don't have those circumstances. I am on good terms with my ex-husband, with the father of of my child. So um, we work together and we don't have a bad relationship and my child's not sick. So I'm able to save money. But I see some of these women that I work with and, you know, you don't understand how how temporary it can be whether it's the economy yeah. or I tell women all the time I'm like if you break your leg today yeah. what are you going to do for six months or how well that's long this takes? is what you're you're agitating about right I mean your political work right. is largely about protecting people against that right well and it doesn't you know bill 3059 that that we've drafted and that we're pushing for in uh, in Salem it's not for strippers like me and I say strippers like me where you know I am pretty formally educated um, I, I'm not married currently, but I have stable relationships. I don't fear, um, I, I don't deal with domestic violence. I'm not under pimp control. I don't have any outstanding health problems. Um, but for the women who work in the worst clubs around the city and the state, you know, if you're a 19 year old and you're a high school dropout and you don't have a safe place to live, and you go to the strip club because you want the opportunity of making money that's untaxed, um, and perhaps your family knows and perhaps they don't, but if the stage is filthy and there's broken glass on the floor and your manager might be a rapist, you don't know that you have options because you really kind of don't have options. Yeah. So we're not looking, I say we, and I, I'm speaking of the, the legislators, the lobbyists, um, the other entertainers that have been working on this with me, um, our team, it, we're not trying to form unions. Uh, there's there's many reasons why the most of us in the entertainment industry don't want to unionize up here. Our, the economy, the, the industry, the entertainment industry, first of all, wouldn't be able to support it. Um, they wouldn't be able to afford it. It would close a lot of venues. Um, I don't want my entertainers unionized because I believe it would be one of those no hire, no fire situations where unions don't like getting rid of their employees because it costs them money. Hmm. So I don't want to work with the stripper who is not a good entertainer, right. you know, perhaps is late, has a bad attitude, terrible hygiene. I don't want to share a stage with her. I hmm. want someone who has to be self-motivated. Right. That's one reason. Um, we don't want to be considered employees. If you are, and I know other women, where if they want to become college professors or something else very conventional, if they were, you know, going through a background check and you as an employee have to list your previous employment and you write down, you know, stripper, exotic dancer, you're going to be subjected to discriminatory hiring practices. You just are. Right. But as it stands, we don't have to report it because we're not employees. So it gives us the freedom to, we're not lying, it's just omission, and it's totally legal. Um, 
so there's some reasons like that. Um, but so what we're arguing for for Bill 3059 was basically a a hotline that would be staffed by advocates that have some background in either sex work or social work, um, crisis centers. So it would just be something as simple as posting this number in all the common areas for entertainers where if they have questions about, and it's not even a report hotline, but questions like, how do I file a 1099? You know, um, I suspect there might be drug or money laundering, you know. Mm. So that would be one, um, just resources. Because also, another thing to go back to the 19-year-old stripper example if you're if you're not aware that you if you if you're stripping and your family doesn't know you can't exactly ask them how to like can you help me with my taxes right so um yeah that would be very valuable but we're not looking to to get too regulatory on the industry because that's when it's a very slippery slope when you start legislating yeah. any kind of industry and i read some uh, I think it was the salon piece, actually, uh, that we talked about That was a good one. She did a really good job. Yeah, it was good. And you made the point very forcefully there that you're in a position, you're working at a club that you like, Mm -hmm. the management's good, Mm -hmm. you're not worried about getting fired for Mm -hmm. speaking out, but a lot of women aren't in that position. So you're actually not even agitating for yourself so much as for people who can't. Right. No, That's very cool. I mean, that's (laughs) Thank you. I mean, because somebody has to do it and... Um, I've, I've been accused by a couple outliers in the industry that, um, that I'm fighting a, oh God, what is that? What is some kind of like self, some crusade for myself. And I just kind of had to laugh because I'm like, this bill isn't for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't need the publicity that comes with doing salon or buzzfeed because it really doesn't really affect the income if anything it only endangers me more because i am you know more in the public eye and there are a lot of venue operators that don't like what i'm doing right because if it comes down that they are afraid of being reported for anything legal illegal or um if OSHA starts inspecting worker areas that they historically never have, which is stages and dressing rooms, um, there are going to be some very pissed off operators. If you tell one of the oldest clubs in town and their roof leaks and it has for five years, like, hey, you have to fix this and it's going to yeah. cost you $10,000, $20,000 because L. Stanger said so, that's not doing me any favors. Right. So, yeah, again, this isn't really for me, but it's just... So do you do you make money from you have like a website? I have a website, that? yeah. Um eroticmusepdx.com and that kind of serves more as a hub for um just to find me cuz I encountered so many people that would come to the club and say, "Oh, you're a great dancer. I heard you write." Or uh people that would email me and say, "Oh, I've been reading your blog, yeah. um but I want to see your photos or how can I find you dance?" So it's just right. kind of how to get a hold of me. Cool. And yeah. and do you want to talk about where you work? Or yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I'm at the Lucky Double. It's uh, 6th and Powell in Portland, Oregon. Oh. Yeah. That's like the only... That was the first strip club I went to when how I arrived long, in Portland. How long ago? Oh, I don't know if it was six months ago. I, okay. I don't really remember. Okay. Um, this guy, when I arrived in Portland, this guy, uh, a photographer, my was he sent me some stuff on Twitter like dude mm-hmm. we gotta go you know I never met him it's like mm-hmm. oh really like, yeah like he just uh, hit you up to go well because he listens to the podcast oh, so he's okay. like hey Do welcome you know to Portland um, you I, don't want to out him well I probably shouldn't say it anyway okay. but I can't think of it right now okay. he, yeah he, you are bad with names yeah I'm terrible <laughs> with names 
Um, but really nice guy. And he sort of, you know, every month or so he'd be like, Hey dude, you ready? You up for a strip mm-hmm. club? You know, my girlfriend mm-hmm. and I, like we, you know, we'll take mm-hmm. you to our favorite ones, whatever. Mm-hmm. So finally I, one day I went, uh, to Lucky, Lucky Devil, Devil and, uh, and his girlfriend was stripping. I, oh, so he's funny. like, Oh, me and my girlfriend. I'm like, Oh, whoa, very whoa, casual. hello. Yeah. How are you? Right. Um, but family. it was it was very cool, and and the thing is, like I've been now to I think three clubs in town, and it's um, very strange. I have to say, <laughs> it's. I mean, I'm not a big strip Go club on. guy, you know. But I'm not a big strip club guy either. I remember the first strip club I ever went to. Okay. Um, all right. When I was in college. Mm-hmm. I, I study. I took women's studies classes. Mm-hmm. I was sort of like the typical conflicted, earnest, you know, young man. Mm-hmm. You sort of, you know, self-hating white, Aww. you know, heterosexual. And this was like thirty years ago too. This was early eighties. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. When like Andrea Dworkin Ugh. was big, you know, yeah. and all that, right? Yeah, yeah. So, thank God, I. Ended up with a Puerto Rican girlfriend who slapped that shit out of me, <laughs> who later became the stripper, actually. That's, oh, that's a perfect. whole other story. But, I love it. But she, you know, she was like, man up, dude, you know, mm-hmm. like enough of this bullshit. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I was in Alaska at mm-hmm. some point in the middle was of all Bush that. Was it the Bush Company one? Alaskan yeah. Bush Company in, uh, in Anchorage. And I was with these guys and they, they wanted to go to this club because it was this legendary club. So... We went to the club, and I was like, "Look, I'm not going in. I'll just hang out here in the car and read." Mm-hmm. And you know, because you want to go in, though? no, you didn't. no, Why? because my because I bought the bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. I, I had like, this These idea. Women are suffering. They're exploited. They're, they're probably junkies. Yeah. They're trying right. to feed their kids. This right. is just going to be sad and right. miserable and right. anti-sexy, as far as I'm concerned. Right. So I'll just read my book and be a pedantic asshole in the right. parking lot. So I did. I was sitting in the car, and they went in. And then this friend of mine, John, came out 20 minutes later. He's like, dude, trust me. This, you, this will blow your mind. You have to come in here. Aww. So I went in, and it, it did blow my mind because those women were having a blast. Yeah. They were making so much money. <laughs> and remember, this was the early 80s. This was the 80s. <laughs> and, Good for them. And it was Alaska. So they were being flown yeah. in from mm-hmm. all over the place. Yeah. And they would do whatever, two weeks or a month or something. Mm-hmm. At this club, which was full of these dudes who had been out on a fucking oil rig or a fishing boat making tons of money. They come into Anchorage. They just want to spend their money. Mm -hmm. They go to this place where all the women are gorgeous Mm -hmm. and dancing up a storm. And they're, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're smiling and laughing. And I was like, what? You got lied to. (laughs) What? This? Yeah. Yeah. And see, well, and that's how I want it to be. You know, for everyone and, uh, you know, let's be honest, like I've I've not danced in a lot of clubs in this town, but because I work for the industry magazine, uh, exotic magazine, um, I I was writing club reviews or write ups for a while. I'm the longest running female columnist in the magazine. I've been to so many clubs in this in this county and some of them are pretty dismal, you know, like palpably sad. And it just really it sucks because it's not ever, you don't want to see people that are uncomfortable anyway, but then I know how great this industry can be. And I just love it when people come in as skeptics to where I work and then they leave converted essentially. Well, that's the thing. When I went into your club, Mm -hmm. uh, I was like, first of all, like how I bought a round of drinks for three people and it was like 
eight bucks. Yeah, it's pretty like inexpensive. Two, two, yeah. mixed co- two cocktails in a beer, and it was eight bucks. And I was like... They, they, what time of day was it? It was midday. It was okay. lunchtime. Okay, okay. And then they're telling me, like, oh, you got to try the pulled pork sandwiches, yep. man. Like, the food's <laughs> yeah. really good the here. The food's really good. It's like, yeah. what do you mean the food's good here? <laughs> and it's like seven bucks for a burger or whatever. <laughs> And then and then I went to the like outside. There's like this fire pit, and mm-hmm. like and there aren't even any women out there. Right. It's just like go out and have a beer, and yeah. it's a beautiful spot. And there's a fire, and there are trees, and like there's a TV outside. It's all like wholesome and shit. <laughs> like it's it's weird because then I live in Spain, right? And mm-hmm. this, the whole strip scene in Spain is a whole different. Mm. It, the, everybody's a hooker, mm-hmm. right? And there's no like no no touching laws. Mm-hmm. It's none of this American mm-hmm. hands behind your back bullshit, right? Which I mean would also be fine if if the strip clubs were strip clubs and the brothels were brothels. That would be number one way less confusing to everybody, right? Um, because I don't get offended when patrons, you know, people come in and they ask, you know, how much for sex, and I'm like, oh, I I actually don't offer that, right. you know. But it's not really something that I see some of my peers get get. Re- really really mad about that and I'm, I'm just like you can't you can't be offended by what some other people will do and also if you think there's something wrong with selling sex but you're dancing for tips naked i mean you're a really shitty feminist there's a bit of a conflict exactly there, yeah. because then you're buying into the hierarchy right so what are you better than a porn star because you only dance naked right. is a cam girl better than you because she's not right. you know like come on you guys yeah yeah so but yeah no i i love i've been at lucky devil for um six years in june and when i started um it was right after the economy got real bad pretty much and i had i'd started i'd worked in a pharmacy i'd done retail i was doing uh hospice right when i auditioned and my client was 92 years old blind um paranoid schizophrenic paraplegic so she'd be having these episodes where she's freaking out thinking demons are attacking her at three in the morning. And I'm, you know, 21, 22 years old. I'm this like, super atheist, uh, you know, basically a kid because you, it's hard to deal with people who are dying, um, especially when you're 22 years old, I think. But I think I had an epiphany at like maybe three or six in the morning where I just thought, you know, I'm going to try stripping because <laughs> if I'm going to be dealing with this kind of outrageous behavior from a total stranger and, and poor thing was suffering, you know, she was dying. She was, old age, she was dying, but I'm like, I'd rather deal with drunk people being assholes mm. for hopefully more than 10 bucks an hour. Right. So I, um, I thought maybe I would strip, you know, six months at the most until I found something more conventional and, and get back in line with, uh, planning to do law enforcement stuff. And then I just fell in love with stripping. Mm. So, yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it's the, the whole, all right, so here's, here's a question for you, all right? Like, we're talking about assholes, belligerent, you know, like the downside. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Do you think stripping would exist if the overall culture got its shit together? Yes. Or is it a, a no. pressure release valve because no. of the <clears throat> fucked up culture? Um, I thought for a while that maybe the stigma perpetuated the success because people who are insecure need an outlet to like seek out someone they view lesser than them that they can berate but still tip for some reason. I thought for some reason when I started that that was just the structure and that's how it existed. But I've... I've learned how to interact with people to make them feel good about themselves, to listen to them, to remember them. I've cultivated, you know, great regular customers that 
um, I care about them as strangers. They care about me. It's a very, I forget the word for it, but it's basically when the audience has a relationship with the performer. Um, I can't think of it, but I think I've realized that the people who come to see me, they, I know they respect me. They tell me what they admire. They thank me. I get emails telling them, you know, one woman, um, I love this story. She actually came in last night with her husband, but she, uh, she was a customer before she started dancing. She and her husband, uh, boyfriend at the time would buy lap dances and tip at the rack. Um, and then she auditioned and still works as a stripper and she came in last night, and they had a dinner, sat at the stage for a few girls. She bought a lap dance for me, um, tipped me a little extra. But before she was getting married, it was about six or eight months ago. It was Her wedding was in a couple days. And she said she wanted to buy a lap dance for me because I'm, I'm pretty notoriously snuggly. I call it uh, naked cuddles. Um, she said that she was nervous about her wedding, and she just wanted to be near my energy because I would calm her down mm. and um, stuff like that. I've had... I've had countless people um, just ask for like back rubs or they want to show me uh, the new yoga trick they've learned. Um, they want to talk about their day. Show you a yoga trick? <laughs> yeah. Is this in a private dance? Yeah, is yeah, it yeah. Like, it's, a, it's in the lap dance room. Um, let me pay you 20 bucks yeah, so you yeah, can see yeah. me do a shoulder yeah, stand. Exactly. Really. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So it's I, like I mean, therapy. But is there something, and, and I know this is going to sound terrible, but it's the way the question forms itself in my mind. Is mm-hmm. there something pathetic about this? I don't think so because, I mean, I only started going to a therapist uh, about five or six months ago. And I realized that, you know, I have a lot of relationships with people, whether it's social media or, or you know, customer or just interpersonal or very, like, intimate ones. And when you speak to people when you're so public, even if it's in this small bubble, you know, in my microcosm, I'm, I'm pretty public. Um, it's so nice just to go to a stranger who it's their job to listen and keep somewhat, you know, objective and, and anonymous. Um, my therapist isn't going to intentionally like make me feel bad about myself it's where I go to have a soundboard. Right. I'm not even necessarily looking for feedback, but right. sometimes when you're stressed, you just need that one person just to spew whatever you need to say about your day. And that's when you realize things maybe you didn't realize or you feel better or it just, it's nice to be heard. So, I mean, if you think having a therapist is pathetic, then I guess you would think, you know, going to see a stripper is well, pathetic. Well, no, I, I, I mean, and pathetic's a bad word for it. And I don't mean it in a, in a judgmental way so much as it, 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 that there's something tragic about people reaching out to absolute strangers for something that's deeply important to them. It, it suggests to me, and, and believe me, I've been to therapy and mm-hmm. I've, I've experienced it on both sides. I've done mm-hmm. therapy as a therapist and as mm-hmm. a client. And, and I know there's something really interesting that happens there mm-hmm. and unexpected because of the, 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 the lack of, of friendship, actually, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but I mean, one of the hangups that I've had around sexuality is you know, with um, prostitutes or, or even in strip clubs, is that I can't get my head around the idea that, that there's something essentially sad about paying for intimacy, for paying someone to pretend they like me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you know, and I can understand that, but I think it's also, I mean, it depends what kind of constructs our society has created because we pay to have domiciles. 
you know, I, I had a, a boyfriend once he, um, he had been homeless for many years of his life and he had a tattoo on his arm that said rent is theft. It was a very like punk rock thing. And I was really thinking about it where, you know, you'd think that human beings, we would all just have somewhere to live, like provide a space to live. Like we would all cultivate our own food and share. Yeah. We would all take care of each other, but we don't, we really don't. So it makes sense to me that you exchange money for clothes, for food, for a hug, for someone to listen to you. Um, you know, and I mean, I think sex really, I mean, it's a commodity or, or the idea is of sex. Is it though? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, when you're paying for it, clearly it is, mm-hmm. right? The other thing about strip clubs that freaks me out is like you go in there, <laughs> okay, you pay this woman to pretend that she's attracted to you. Mm-hmm. Although you both sort of acknowledge that she's pretending, therefore it's not really even pretending. Then... Like, I've never in my life had a lap dance. Like, really? No. Oh, see, then you can't speak to this. Of course I can. <laughs> of course I can. Because I've had plenty of boners in my jeans, okay? And the oh, last thing the I want to do is Mm-mm. come in my jeans Mm-mm. and pay someone to rub their ass on my clothed body. Is like, what the fuck? Well, what? see, and that depends what you want because I'm not, I'm not a grinder, um... Oh, you're I, a snuggler. I'm a snuggler. I mean, and the, again, there's nothing wrong with grinding because if that's what you're seeking out, and then the that's what you want to come, right? I mean, is no, that, no, no, that's oh, no. I, I mean, in see, this is why you can't speak to this. Um, in the six <laughs> years I've been, I've been stripping. I probably, let's say, if I work all together, let's say I work four shifts a week, so sixteen a month, and I probably give, let's just say, ten lap dances a shift. Sometimes more, most of the time more. Um, so we'll say 160 lap dances over the past six years. That's Mm. a lot. Um, three times have men come in their pants and I was touching them none of these times. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that was the point of a lap dance. No, not at all. Then what's the fucking point? To be near to someone. To have your... See, that's so sad. Don't you like getting massages? I, you know what? I don't like paying for massages. I like... See, I think you might be a rare breed. I, I feel, again, it's like massages. I've, I've had a lot of massages. In fact, mm-hmm. the stripper I lived with was mm-hmm. also a massage therapist. Mm-hmm. So she used to come home from stripping at 3 in the morning, pull out all her money, you know, all the 20s and mm-hmm. 40s or whatever, 40s. 40s. Yeah, all those 40s. <laughs> you have your PhD, right? It's <laughs> yeah, not in math <laughs> or economics, or, that's or for money. sure. But she'd pull all the money out of her, you know, her uh, fishnet stockings, and I'd be asleep, and then she'd, like, uh, get into bed, and I hope she showered first. Yeah, Stages are filthy. And uh, and massa- give me a back massage. Mm-hmm. That's very kind of and her. And then a blowjob. That's very kind of her. As her way of like calming down. So I'm like in semi-conscious getting this you great massage. You spoiled. Then the blowjob. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All yeah. I want to do when I get off shift is shower and eat something like filled with bread and cheese and then go to sleep. <laughs> Uh, no, yeah. no, no. To, to but, so I love massages, but I can't pay for a massage. I feel so See, well. You were spoiled because again, you're you're giving someone money for touch or for a transference of energy. Because when I'm giving a lap dance, yeah. I'm I'm playing with somebody's hair. I'm stroking their ears. I'm oh, pressing my forehead to them. That would make me so sad. That would oh, make it me feels so, so sad. So good, but I, you know, I had someone a couple weeks ago where um, I did five songs for him. And he was a very stoic, very handsome man. Um, They're definitely, on a very primal level, I think we were attracted to each other, but we both understood the situation, that it was a a business exchange. Um, But at one point, I realized, I I made the decision that I was going to sync my breathing with his, Mm. because he had these big, deep 
inhales and exhales and and he was just very relaxed and very into it so um i mean i was seated on his lap um and i had a hand on his shoulder and another one with my elbow on his shoulder and my hand on the back of his head i was kind of playing with his hair and my forehead was pressed to his and we synced our breathing and we did that for two songs and like i'm almost gonna cry right now because it was it was it was fucking beautiful it was so um I mean, you see like my face twitching, I'm tearing up right now, but just like that is, there's nothing really more like nurturing than that, like with a total stranger. Yeah. And then he paid me and I thanked him and it was lovely and we both went on our way. Um, so you have stuff like that <clears throat> where you're really connecting, even if it's just for, you know, a few minutes and it's for the exchange of money. But I think stuff like that is what kind of keeps people alive, like the yeah. ability to still help each other or to bond with each other. Yeah. I mean, do you know who Susie Bright is? No, I don't. We can take a break. Shake it off. Not. No, it's okay. No, it's okay. It's, it's, I, I'm a good crier. That's good. That's good. <laughs> the older I get, the, the more easily I cry. It's, Maybe it's a drop in testosterone. Yeah, I think that's what it is. <laughs> no, seriously, yeah. I do. I, I've talked to friends about that, and they've all said the same thing. It's hmm. like, man, I can't go to a sad movie anymore. You know, I'm just fucking I'm I wiping a, tears. I watched a diaper commercial, and it did me in. <laughs> diaper commercial? I was like, oh, yeah, they grew up so fast. Yeah, baby shit makes my eyes water, too, believe me. <laughs> um, um no, I mean, the, the whole thing, you know, and again, I don't mean to sound judgmental. I, I don't, I don't mean it. You don't I, I'm mean not, to. It just I'm, comes well, I'm naturally. not judging the people involved. I'm, mm-hmm. I, it makes me feel sad that our society is so fucked up that people are paying strangers to play with their hair and, and to listen to them talk about their boats. Well, that, I mean, that's what makes me sad. Yeah, it's I, like I those Japanese who hire people to go to the funeral and pretend that they're that's, you crying know, that, family That's interesting members. too. But you know, I definitely, who's to say that some of the people who cry at those funerals aren't actually sad? Well, I'm sure they are sad, but they're sad for money. They're not sad because they knew this person who died and now there's an absence but in their life. But maybe that's not true. Maybe you're looking around, you're seeing all the other people that are actually really sad and suffering. I don't know. I, I definitely, um, I feel bonded to some of my customers. Sometimes it's totally, totally arbitrary, um, but I still get a, a small amount of satisfaction knowing that I can make somebody smile or or it really doesn't matter to me if I can explain this. Um, it doesn't matter to me if they get hard or not. If a woman um, arches her back and slows her breathing, um, it, it it doesn't really do anything for my self-esteem, but I, I see it as a measure of productivity. Yeah. Like if I can pay attention to someone enough to where they have that kind of physical, maybe psychological, you know, response, I feel like I was doing a good job in paying attention to their cues. Right. I think that makes me a better, um, a better thinker, a better lover, a better profile, or whatever. And I think that's why I'm good at my job because I'm paying attention to these people. But I mean, really, it's you know, when I bought Starbucks on the way over here, the girl, um, you know, I tipped her. I think the total was four fifty, and I said, you know, put the quarters in the tip jar or whatever. That's not a big tip or whatever. And she gave me the biggest smile and told me that my eyebrows were great. <laughs> so she's really, I mean. Whether or not my eyebrows are great, I think they're pretty fantastic. But, um, you know, I'm paying her to care. It's customer service for her to care. So if you're going to talk about, like, well, how fucked up our society is, I mean, I think, like, everything that happens in North Korea would be a great measure of how fucked up society can be. But I think giving people 40 bucks to play with your hair is probably on the lower end of that spectrum of fuck uppery. <laughs> yeah. And as you say, that, you know, and as you've just demonstrated, actually, that even when the the sort of arena in which these things happen is economic, it's, you know, 
you're paying someone mm-hmm. to do this for their time and for their attention and all mm-hmm. that, real feelings can still mm-hmm. uh, happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of, in a way, it's like literature. You know, the, the famous line is, you know, when I was a kid, they called me a liar. Now they call me a novelist. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you tell lies in order to convey some deeper mm-hmm. truth. Mm-hmm. So certainly... But you're, if you're still making someone feel something, invoking an emotion... It's a I mean, real feeling. Right, then it's yeah, real. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Do you know who Susie Bright is? I mentioned no, I'm earlier. sorry. You already asked no, that. No. She, she's a really interesting woman. She's sort of started sex-positive fo- sex feminism. Oh, really? She's like the, one of oh. the founding... I'm bad uh, for not knowing of, this. Yeah. <laughs> she edited, I think it was called On Our Backs, a lesbian oh, okay. Uh, okay. magazine for yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she she and I sort of became friends after Sex at Dawn came out. She wrote to me and invited me to drop by her place in Santa Cruz if I was mm-hmm. ever on a literary tour. So I did, mm-hmm. and we, you know we got to be friends. She's she's great. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she wrote. Uh, she's published a bunch of books, and mm-hmm. in one of them, I remember there's an essay about um, when she first started working as a prostitute in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and I don't remember if it was her first client, but one of her very first clients was this. This old guy who uh, every year would have her come the same night mm-hmm. and dress in his dead wife's mm. clothing mm-hmm. and do her hair like the wife and da, 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 mm-hmm. and they'd have dinner and he'd mm-hmm. speak to her as if she were the wife. Oh, man. And... You know, she she writes about her feelings about this, you know, like going yeah. through that and, and at first feeling creeped out by it mm-hmm. and then seeing how it helped him deeply. Maybe. Yeah, that he was connecting with something that was flowing through her, mm-hmm. you know, and she it was like she had to be there in order for him to, to speak to this woman right. who was so important to him. And I mean, and in the end, she ended up feeling honored Mm-hmm. Uh, that she was allowed to be <gasps> in such... i Yeah, again. <laughs> I mean, it was really intense, you know? Yeah. I, I've read it probably 20, 30 years ago, and I'll never yeah. forget it. Yeah. Um, yeah but no, yeah, so, so, yeah, it's like, it can be f- fake and real at the same time, mm-hmm. like so many other things. Well, and I think that's part of the problem is, you know, us trying to define these these total intangibles, you know, these emotions that you can't really explain. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've not had anything like that where I was dressing up and having dinner, you know, yeah. as a dead person. Um, <laughs> not yet. Charge. Not you got to charge a lot yeah. for that. I've had, um, I forget, what do I call them? Um, oh, I can't think of what I, I've only done it a couple times, but I've had um, acquaintances um, where they directly tell me like, hey, I have a big event coming up or my friend's getting married or whatever and I would like to come with a beautiful female date uh, who right. is articulate and can carry a conversation. What's your rate? So, um, you know, you hire a professional when you don't have the girlfriend who's going to pretend to give a shit about your family. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, do you want someone to ask questions and yeah. remark on the wine? Like, you, you pay somebody to do that. So... Yeah. Oh, I actually forgot to bring you. Um, I published a book last year. Um, it's a collection of short stories from strippers around the country. Right. Uh, it's called Strange Times. Why, why is it called that? Uh, you know, there's a there's a Black Keys song that I've danced to since I started Strange Times. Um, it's just one of my songs. But I thought it really fit because that's really kind of the best way to summarize I mean, all these years of your life or, or even just a shift. Because sometimes when I, I would I would get home and I would, I have like 80,000 words just, I don't even know if I'm ever going to do anything with it. But 
sometimes you think of all the different the nuances and the and the short little almost skits that have occurred in in a matter of a few hours and it's like god that was all over the place it was amazing it was great it was beautiful um but it fits particularly for the book also because it's 15 different women either current or former strippers from around the country all different ages educational backgrounds um ethnicities um and some of the stories a couple are sad one of them's two of them are kind of scary um some of them are about their lovers or just reminiscing on on the job and um there's 18 in there in total three of them are mine two are under different pseudonyms because i didn't want to out people but um i i basically the only reason i did that uh, is because I had never seen anything exactly like that that existed because there are a lot of sex worker and stripper tell-alls. Yeah. There are a lot of those, and that's fine. Um, every experience is unique and interesting. But I just wanted a chance to compare each of these women that you don't know, like story after story, and see how different they all are. Right. Um, because, you know, we are, strippers are so always just represented as a specific horror archetype in mm. in TV and, and media. And and I don't mean horror in a bad way, but just like the fallen angel that just, right. you know, can't either, either she just can't do right and pick herself up by her bootstraps or it's like the really devious um, stripper who's looking to like pick your pocket or whatever. Yeah. Um, and if she's got a heart of gold, that's like a really yeah. big deal, yeah, right? Like, exactly. oh, the stripper with a heart of gold. Yeah. You don't hear about like, you know, it's like the anyone manic- else who has a heart of gold they're just a normal person yeah exactly yeah. good for her oh. so, yeah, so i'm pretty proud of that one yeah yeah so and that's available on amazon amazon and kindle strange yeah. times strange times tales from american strippers and it's under your name yeah l stanger okay yeah. cool so yeah, yeah. go get yourself a copy of that is yeah. a movie coming out when's oh, the movie man, i don't know who's gonna finance that i was just in a porn <laughs> movie that came out uh, in, last so week so you weren't performing uh, no, I. I mean, I, you might have been performing, but not sexually. Not sexually. Yeah. I was clothed. I was. Uh, yeah. You could I, still be clothed and be in a porn performing. Oh, getting a lap dance. Yeah. yeah. What is it? I, I was coming in my jeans. CMNF clothed male naked female is a fetish that oh. I just recently learned about. You know what? Everything's a fetish. I know. That's what if you I've can think about it, if yeah. It, if you can imagine mm-hmm. it, there's a website. Like farting in a paper bag and then like popping it over someone's head. That's probably a fetish. <laughs> I just thought of that just now. I want you to know. <laughs> well, I mentioned Sierra earlier. She got into mm-hmm. it because someone offered to buy her piss mm. when she was 17. And she's like, are you well, fucking kidding that's me? That's illegal. <laughs> And, and Wait a year. <laughs> well, she was in Japan. Oh, oh uh, so, okay. Yeah, I guess. I don't What's know. the age for? I mean, do they have like an age of consent there? But I mean, consent to sell your piss, or you know, mail a bottle of piss. What? I mean, what? if that's not like a health code violation or federal violation or national <laughs> violation or whatever they call it over international there, international, international, law. yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, I have to pee. Who wants to buy some? <laughs> that's how I feel. It's like I wow. just had half an Americano. All that waste. All oh. the waste. Yeah, oh, yeah. Man. Um, uh, now I've lost my train of thought. Um, choo choo. Farting oh, in oh, bags. okay. That's yeah. Farting in bags. So, why is the Portland strip? <laughs> club scene so different how do you make money i I mean going to these clubs there's no cover charge in most of them in a lot of them now yeah the food is cheap Mm -hmm. the beers are cheap Mm -hmm. and you only have to like pay money if you're sitting at the rail yeah it's nice to tip i mean you can always 
tip from anywhere in the room. That's right. great. And I, I definitely take note of the people who walk across the room to throw a few bucks down or whatever. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I would say... I would say that on a typical shift, I make... I'm not going to say the number of what I make, but I would say that I make... 70 to 80% of my money through lap dances. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. So that's what it is. And mm-hmm. those are like 25, 30 bucks. 20, 20 to 30 to 45. It depends. If you go to, and I could be wrong, but um, Lucky Devil is $20 a song, you know, gratuity, uh-huh. always appreciated. Right. Um, but it's, it's sit real nicely with your hands at your sides. We c- can touch you. You're not supposed to touch us. <laughs> Um, if you go to a more explicit club like Casa Diablo, then I think their songs start at $45 a song, mm. but the patron is allowed to touch, um, pretty much all over the oh, dancer. Really? Mm-hmm. So that's, I thought that was a state uh, it's regulation. It's not, it's that's not. A club thing. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, in the last 20, 15, 10 years, it was different. They had like a six inch rule for a while and you're just not supposed to legislate sexual expression. A six inch rule? Yeah, like the patron had to be at least six inches away from the entertainer at any time. <laughs> oh, wonder what wonder where they came up with six inches. <laughs> <laughs> most guys in my experience is less than six inches. Exactly. That that eliminates uh, most of those. But um yeah, but I, I think the most you, the most money that I do is definitely from lap dances. And I don't even like saying lap dances because that implies that I'm moving a certain way. Private dance. Right. Private right. dances or, right. you know, private session. But then there's not really a session because sometimes there's not really a goal. Um, like some people want to talk. Some people want me to dance and not take anything off. Some people just want to look at my pussy for five songs. Um, <laughs> some people want a gynecologist. Right. You know? Oh God. One guy told me once, he's like, I don't have to tip because I'm a gynecologist. And I'm Are like, you kidding? well, that's nice. Um, you can afford to tip asshole. Yeah. I don't think know? he was a gynecologist. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, really? Am I laying on my back? Did I schedule an appointment? Are we under like neon lights right now? Fluorescent uh, lights right now? No, you came in here, motherfucker. Um, yeah. So, you know, and that's, again, it's, it's an arts thing. It's a self-motivated thing. So if you're going to engage with people and make them feel good about themselves and remember their names and talk to them and give a shit, you're going to make more money right? because people can tell right. if you're going to walk around on your cell phone, chomping your gum like a cow out to pasture, you know, with your shoulders hunched and looking pissed you're probably not going to be tipped very much because nobody wants to look at you because you look unpleasant. (laughs) And, you know, people leave their houses. I asked one of my bosses this. Um, He's been owning venues and clubs for 10 or 15, 20 years. I don't know. Um, I think about 20 years. I said, do you ever think that technology will replace our industry? And he immediately replied, no, as long as the human energy is rewarding enough for people to want to leave their houses. So you could sit at home and watch porn on the computer. You could watch pole dancing videos on the computer, you know, whatever. But if you really want to smell somebody or want to have your hair played with or hear them laugh at your jokes, you're going to go to a strip club and you're going to talk to the stripper that does those things for you. Yeah. So and if you want her to keep doing those things for you, you're going to tip her. (laughs) Yeah. So it's it's a give and take. Yeah, it's yeah. a beautiful thing. I I should spend more time in strip clubs. 
I, I'll tell you which I, good I, ones I to go to. Because, <laughs> you know, my, my hang-up is weird. It's a weird thing because, like, mm-hmm. I actually was uh, – I've been paid by many people to give massages. I used to give massages to lingerie models, if you can believe it. Oh, that. really? Yeah. It's a weird – You're you're an interesting little bundle of – It was of... a funny time in my life, yeah. yeah. I lived in this – I've told this story on the podcast before. I lived in this big mansion in Barcelona um, where everyone who lived there was a fashion model except me. Mm. So I ended up. I guess up, you're not tall enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was the yeah, tallest. Yeah. Um, there were funny scenes when I'd come home at night because there was this constant stream of models. They'd stay there when they were on the circuit in Europe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd come home at night and there'd be 15 fashion models sitting around a table in the courtyard. It was this beautiful walled bench mm-hmm. and beautiful place. And I'd come in and sit down, and some of them knew me, you mm-hmm. know, because they'd been there for a few days, and others had just arrived and had no idea. So mm-hmm. there was always this weird, awkward silence, mm-hmm. like, <clears throat> and then somebody would say, "So, uh, what agency are you with?" Oh God! <laughs> and I'd say, "That's yeah. really nice of them to humor you." I know, again. I know, yeah. exactly. Oh God! And I'd say I did hand and ear work. That was my stock comeback. And, and I, I was like, see your you know, ears. maybe you you recognize me from. You know, <laughs> I was on the cover of Hearing Aid Monthly and. <laughs> And it oh, was God, frightening how often oh. they bought that. Oh. See, and well, people will also, if they don't want to um, seem stupid, they'll be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. sure. Yeah. yeah. I knew you look, your ear looked yeah, familiar. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, so but yeah, so I've, I've given lots of massages and uh, it's, I feel, you know, it's like a shoe shine. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't like pay someone and sit on one of those chairs and the mm-hmm. guy, you know, at the train station mm-hmm. does the shoot. It feels like I'm engaging in something really I, uncomfortable. It took me a long time to get massages and it's not like, like I'm not a survivor of any kind of like childhood sexual abuse or any of that. I can't, you know, that's, I don't even have that as a good reason. I don't understand where this comes from actually, but it took me a long time, only probably the last couple of years and out of pure necessity because I had so many injuries to get massages without feeling really weird about it. Um, I just recently started getting manicures and pedicures and I still feel kind of weird about that mm. um, because I'm like, Oh, my feet look gross. I don't want this person to see my feet. Like they're going to yeah. judge me, but it's like, it's their job. Yeah. And then I'm going to tip them well. And they remember me and like, you know, whatever it's their job. Um, but yeah, no, I kind of understand that too. And some people think that's really ridiculous of me. So, yeah, I I was talking to someone, I don't know if it was on the podcast or who I was talking to a man. And we were talking about how going to the, the barber Mm -hmm. is a sensual experience. It can be. Apparently a lot of people get boners. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, I know a few barbers. I had, I'll tell you, when I was a kid, I had braces when I was like 13, 14, Mm -hmm. 15. Let me see your teeth. Oh, yeah. Those are good teeth. They're straight Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Um, But, like, I had it bad. They pulled four molars to make space and all that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was horrible. You've you've had it. I hope hope the technology's improved because it was fucking medieval in the 70s. You know, you had these wires, and every month you would go in and they'd tighten the wires. And and then you'd be in excruciating pain for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. But there was um, an assistant at the orthodontist office with large, luscious breasts who used to just like smother me 
What in hugs? <laughs> no, when she was like, you know, she'd she'd like I'd be in the chair and she'd be doing whatever she was doing, right? Mm-hmm. And then she'd like reach over to get something, oh. and I would get like full tit in the face. How old were you? Thirteen, fourteen. Right. It so was heaven. old enough to get a boner. Yeah. Old, <laughs> yeah. Well, You're like, please don't, please don't. <laughs> no, no, it was wonderful. It was better than like nitrous oxide. It was oh the God. best possible. So I recommend that to any orthodontist out there. Um, oh if you, you know, at least for the, the teenage boys, that'll, I was happy to go to the orthodontist. Yeah. No, I mean, I like women as well. Um, and I'm, I'm imagining that, but it's one of those things where I'm wondering if like she knew what she was doing and I'm, she's just like, fuck it. I don't care. Like I have to reach over. I think she was, I, I yeah. think she did. I, I've always assumed that that was, uh, that was compassion. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong, but <laughs> or like pedophilia. <laughs> hey, bring it on! Bring oh it on. God, double no. standards. Yeah, well, you know what? Double standard. It's a four twenty here. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah, good. I was watching. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think there are there are situations where double standards are completely appropriate. You know, I think a thirteen year old girl and a thirteen year old boy are just two very different organisms well you're going i mean they both have children's brains um i think the main difference that it comes down to is penetration because when you're talking about sex for children you know penetrative sex on a child's body can be very damaging whether it's anally or vaginally so i think that is one of the biggest things and people don't like to use that as a reason um but if i had and i have a daughter i have a three-year-old daughter And maybe it's easier for me to say this because I don't have a son, but I would rather, I would probably rather my, my 13 year old, you know, imaginary son to have sex than my 13 year old daughter. Um, cause I started having sex at 14 and, um, I was like book educated about it. Um, I, I, I'd had like the typical school education, but I'd also, you know, read about it. And, and I think back to what I knew then as to what I know now. And most of it is just pretty much affected by society. Like, um, I don't believe porn is inherently bad, but I think a lot of porn is so performative and outlandish that when all you see is women in fishnets and at the end she gets a load dumped on her face and you if that's all you see you think that's what's supposed to happen yeah um and you end up doing things that don't you know necessarily feel good so you know a lot of times also people will see and again these are professionals these are porn performers that are professionals if you see you know, Sasha Gray goes straight to anal in the first two minutes of the video clip. Nobody really knows that she's been cleaning and gauging her butthole for an hour before they start shooting. So I think it's a lack of education that can be the most damaging. Um, but I still I mean, either way, I don't think 13 year olds need to be having sex. <laughs> I got seduced by a babysitter when I was, I think, 11. Oh, man. This podcast is turning. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's turning. Oh, uh, I'm and I, I've, always exp- I, I've always considered that a positive experience. So, Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah, it, it's all very... I had a guy on a couple uh, months ago who's a, a specialist in... Um, child sex abuse cases and we mm-hmm. were talking about that and mm-hmm. and the you know he consults to courts and police mm-hmm. and all that and you know a lot of a lot of it especially with boys who you know are the victims mm-hmm. is as you say it's what society tells them mm-hmm. that in a lot of these cases they don't start feeling bad about it until they're told, told to that it bad. was a bad thing and, 
you know. See, I just, I don't know how to, I don't know because, you know, when you think about, and you, you did so much research on this, if you think about these small tribes where, you know, the children see all of the adults engaging in sex play, it's out in the open, they do sex play. I mean, I, lots of American kids engage in sex play. I did it with, don't listen, mom and dad, but uh, the neighbor girl when well, I was I like seven, we were bumping does. Chinese. A lot of people yeah. do. So I don't really know, but I think when there's an age difference is when it's, it's, an issue because you don't know what was coerced. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's very complicated, <clears throat> and and the one thing we can say for certain is that a hysterical sex negative culture doesn't help. No, it doesn't. No. And that's that's a. And and that's a thing. You're you're doing your work to uh, alleviate that. So oh man, good for you. <laughs> I won't say it's an uphill battle, but. You know, it's cute, actually. I got a message from, um, and I get stuff like this all the time, which um, which feels good, and it feels like I'm actually maybe making some kind of a difference. But I got a Facebook message from a man that I've never met. I think he lives on the other side of the country. Um, he's a black man. He's probably pretty close to my age. Um, and he told me that I had changed his life just from he follows me on Facebook, the things I post, whatever. I'm not overly political, but I, I put stuff in there. And, you know oh, how is that so? And he says that he had seen uh, a friend of his posting on Facebook that she wanted to get um, a body part pierced. And he said his immediate thought process was to tell her, no, you're beautiful as you are. You don't need to change yourself. And then he he said he heard a little voice correct him where he said it's not about whether or not she's beautiful or what she even looks like. It's what she wants to do for herself and those motivations. So listen to her reasons or ask her about it and hear what she has to say if you have mm. any concerns. So he said, I'd like to think that that little voice was you. <laughs> I thought, oh, holy shit. That's Thanks. Nice. Thanks, guy. Yeah. So even stuff like that, I mean, I think it's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge figure. I'm not, but, but I think the people that listen to me are actually trying to figure out how they can maybe change themselves to be less judgmental or more sex positive because I'm still figuring it out too how um, old are you 28 I, I know old as fuck <laughs> old soul 28. <laughs> so many things I have a lot to learn I'm aware uh, I'm aware yeah. yeah yeah good luck with that yeah, yeah. Hey, thank you for doing this. Yeah, Remind you. listeners again where they can find you. Um, you can find me at the Lucky Devil Lounge in Southeast Portland, Sixth and Powell. My website is Erotic Muse PDX, and if you don't know how to spell that, then you're an idiot um, <laughs> or a foreigner. Or Come on, we got worldwide. Yeah, well, listeners. most foreigners have better English than yeah, some native true. speakers. Um, let's see. <laughs> I blog on Tumblr as L Stanger S T A N G E R, first name E L L E. Got them all over the place. Yeah. Right for Exotic Magazine. Yeah. Just Google L. Just, yeah, just Google you'll, me. You'll find yeah. it. Oh, yeah, my book, Strange Times, Tales from American Strippers, is on Amazon and Kindle. All right. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say
die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up but give it a rest You're gonna die one day to the ground.